Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Hey Mets fans, welcome to episode 200 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I am Brian Salvatore, and apologies up front. We had a big live 200 episodes spectacular planned, and then we realized it was the end of the summer, and people were busy or away or inconvenienced, and so we're putting our plans on hold for a big anniversary show. So it won't be episode 200, sadly, but it will be coming up very shortly. It is October 1st, um, noon-ish, at a bar in Manhattan to be confirmed very shortly. We hope to have some special guests. We hope to have some uh, some really fun stuff going on, so we shall see. But we still have a show for you this week, and first up on that show is a conversation between Chris McShane and myself. Now, a note about this conversation. Um, we were having some technical Skype issues uh, very, very thoroughly on uh, Monday evening when we started recording it. So half the conversations from Monday evening, half the conversations from Tuesday evening. We make that clear, but just so you're aware, we're not trying to trick you. It was over two different days. And uh, here we go. For those listening at home, we are recording at about 11 p.m. 
on Monday, the 29th of August, and we just saw one hell of a baseball game. Uh, we saw Yoannis Espedes hit a walk-off home run in the bottom of the 10th to give the Mets a 2-1 to victory. Uh, this has to be one of the more nail-biting games of the season because there are so many little storylines that were all woven together here. The short bench, the uh, the spot start by Rafael Montero coming up from double-A after having a not-so-great season. Um, you know, the Mets being completely empty on the bench, and yet such a thrilling victory. Really one of the more exciting games of the season. Um, I know we were chatting beforehand. You were confident they were going to walk off in the bottom of the ninth. Um, but overall, were you even surprised by the uh, the intensity of the last couple innings of the game? Uh, maybe a little bit, you know. I mean, the way it went, it sort of felt like once they got Fernandez out of the game, this was a game that the Mets were going to win to me. And, you know, the Marlins have a couple good relievers, and, and the Mets, you know, after Familia and Reed, it's a little bit more up in the air and that's no disrespect to anybody else out there but i don't know i i just thought it was going to go better for the mets at that point uh so to go from feeling generally good about a scoreless game to you know addison reed giving up one run which is so rare right he he doesn't do that very often um and he you know whether it's a situation where he's giving up the lead or not just not a common occurrence. So to go from that, and it was only one run, but still, you're, you know, you're down to working with six outs. Um, from that to the tied game on the Jose Reyes double advance on a non-sacrifice fly out mm-hmm. since he only moved from second to third, uh, and then scoring on a wild pitch where he slides head first in the home plate because, you know, I mean, of course he does. We, Almost uh, destroying we, his his shoulder. Yeah, we 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 know that. Uh, it's not going to make Keith Hernandez happy, but you know, it's just what he does. Uh, but somehow he got out of it okay. You know, for a season where everybody constantly makes jokes, and you know, not that there isn't a reason, but constantly makes jokes about players getting injured when good things happen. Um, you know, he he survives that. And then, I mean, it had to be Cespedes, I guess, right? So for me being optimistic in the ninth inning was sort of foolish because he wasn't he wasn't going to come up in the ninth inning if they hadn't already won the game. So, uh, <laughs> well, it wasn't going to be Jay Bruce. No, no, it wasn't. Man, what's going on? I don't with want that to guy? go. What? What's going on with that guy? I don't know. It's like. <laughs> I, I actually I loved and appreciated when he, you know, made the statistical reference in his intro mm-hmm. uh, presser, and like <laughs> everything he said, unfortunately, came true. <laughs> you know, he comes over with these gaudy numbers with runners in scoring position, and he knows that it's just weird, and you know, weird things happen in small samples, and. You know, he references that, and he's just been awful. Like, but I, you know, and I, I, I tweeted about Cespedes, too, um, 
in this regard. With him, I, I really hate bringing up the contract when good things happen because it's just, you know, uh, unnecessary potential negativity around a very happy moment. So, you know, I hate to bring it up. With Wait, you, you didn't hear? He's definitely, no matter what, not opting out? Well. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm, I'm uh... I know, I know. <laughs> Well, the crazy thing is it wouldn't shock me if he, for some reason, didn't. Um, I'm not saying I would you know, put a lot of money on that, but I wouldn't be shocked if he either, if he doesn't opt out, whether that's because he chooses not to, which would be certainly one of the more unique decisions a player has made in a long time, or whether they work something out to make it, you know, incentivize him not to. Right. Um, but I hate I hate bringing that stuff up when things are going well. But you, you know I can't help but think it. You know, as the Mets fan part of me is in love with Yoenis Espidas and I want him around forever. And Bruce is the polar opposite, and he might go on a tear, and he might make us like him. And he's had a fine career, and you can see where he could be valuable. But you know. Man, like all I think about with him is like, well, you could just decline the option. Yes, yes. Um, this, <laughs> which is insane, it it, it is. Um, but you know, like this just seems like the most Mets thing that can be. For so many years, the Mets were the team that acquired a player like six days too late. You know, whether it be Robbie Alomar or um, Jason Bay or Mo Vaughn, or insert hundreds of other Mets seemingly here. The Mets was always a day late and a buck short with these acquisitions. And Cespedes felt like the first time in a long time that they were ahead of of, of the curve there, that they, that they were going to get the best out of Cespedes. And then they go and acquire Bruce, who seems, again, to be acquired one week too late. And... uh you know, it doesn't take away from from what Bruce has done over the course of his career or even the first half of the season. But, I mean, looking looking to the outfield next year, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, I just don't see a spot for Bruce there. So I wouldn't be surprised if they do decline his option, which, as you previously stated, is insane. But I, I, I if Cespedes is around, I don't know how you have both those guys in the team. Yeah. Yeah, there's just I let's hope there's a lot of baseball between now and then. So we don't have to think too hard about it, but uh I just don't see how you can, you know, I mean even even David Wright's contract one tails off in terms of actual salary owed. It takes another year or two before it gets there, but it it dips significantly at the end. And two is covered significantly by insurance for games you can't play you know there's not i know there's other guys who you're gonna have to give raises to and hopefully some guys who they try to lock up beyond just the years that they control uh on the pitching staff but like one mega deal and i know it's the will ponds and all that but one mega deal is not going to crush their ability to you know field a competitive team it just isn't. Do you think it would take at this point a mega deal to keep Cespedes? I think. I mean, that's 
sort of interesting, right? Where from the team perspective, he's the best trade acquisition since Piazza. He's hit pretty much as well as Mike Piazza in his year and a month with the team. Um, you know, he's just absolutely flourished. And he was having a good season before he got traded last year. Uh, but, man, like, it just – it's such a perfect fit. You know, I think fans went through a honeymoon phase with him where he was just out of this world good. He struggled in the playoffs, uh, you know, at Game 5 of the World Series. There were people who were booing him, you know, doing that sort of thing. But – Oh, stupid this, people. Cool. Well, yeah, well, no – there was and uh, yeah, there was a point in that game that I turned around to the Met fans sitting behind me and I said, "Do you like anybody on this team?" Did um, he have an answer for you? He he uh, he told me to go back to keeping score. <laughs> yeah, that guy. That guy was something else. <laughs> after after eight innings or nine innings of, uh, of of hearing it, I just I couldn't help myself, but. But yeah, but I think everybody's come around on Cespedes, you know. So I never stopped liking him personally, but I think any, even people who were maybe doubting him a little bit at that point in time, the way this season has gone, I, I feel like the grand majority of Mets fans are completely on board. Yeah. So there's there, from the team perspective, that's worked out really well, and then from the player perspective, you know, I don't know how much any individual player might buy into a certain place being the perfect fit to play. You know, I don't know why he, you know, is it coincidental that he just so happened to absolutely hit his stride as a player last year and then has grown in his time with the Mets? Like, I can't imagine that, the team is doing anything is not a knock on like Kevin Long or, or anybody else, but you know, I don't know what makes everything click for a player, but if I'm Cespedes, like, is there a part of me that goes, wow, this is just, this is great. And you know, not that he should or will give the team a discount because he feels that way. But if it's close, you know, is there something about it where he just really does, he enjoys hitting at City Field. You know, he 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 likes the uniform. He likes that he gets to be himself. You know, I, I don't know I don't know what it is, but you know, when he was in Boston for that brief period, we heard about him being like terrible in the clubhouse, right? We haven't seen any of that. Yeah, no, like I mean, I know people get a little hung up on like, oh, why doesn't he play right field? Because he has a great arm, and he's willing to play the other two positions. You know, that hasn't really come up much lately, but that's maybe the one thing that people have sort of... I, I understand, like, logically, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it's not what he wants to do. But um, but that's it. Like, that's the only thing. And in Boston, it was like this guy, you know, you would think... And uh, who knows why certain guys get labeled with that? I mean, part of it is that um, I think... Boston is maybe the hardest city to play in in all of baseball because I think the press there makes up their mind sometimes how they feel about you before you even start playing for the team. And the fans there really trust their press very, very strongly. 
What do you think qualifies as a mega deal in the Cespedes sweepstakes here? Does that mean adding a couple more years to it? Does it mean adding a couple more zeros to the end of it? What do you what do you see? It was a seventy five million dollar contract, correct? Three yeah. years seventy five. Yeah. Do you think it takes five years at one twenty five? Do you think it just takes hmm. you know three years at a hundred? What, what Yeah, I mean you... I feel like at his age and not that he he's not old. But even by baseball standards, yet. But um, I mean, he's younger than us. Yeah, that he is. <laughs> but I, I could some somewhere in that range, I could see getting it done. Maybe that's underselling him a little bit. But I feel like pulling in thirty or more per year, you'd have to be two or three years younger. Yeah, you know, and I know salaries are consistently going up and good for the players for getting them because every, you know the money keeps going up and is there um so i i absolutely don't hold that against any of them but even in the market that it is like mike trout still peaks at what 34 million a year yeah so i'd have a hard time as, as great as as has been i i have a hard time thinking that somebody would go into you know trout like waters if i can use that phrase <laughs> you may <laughs> if cespedes is 30 right now do you think this next contract needs to get him to 35 yeah yeah that sounds about reasonable right like i mean he's he's in a spot where maybe there's some team out there that would go crazy and go till he's like 38 but i just don't i don't see it like i was saying that you know if you're 27 or 28, I feel like you can get that deal that gets you there because the team thinks they're going to get, you know, your 27 to 32 years, so they're more willing to tack on those mid to late 30s years. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That sounds about right to me. Hopefully, that doesn't sound too foolish in a few months. But like, if it really is just that, just pay him market rate for top tier outfielder. For five years, just just do it. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously the Wilpon corollary, but I don't disagree with you. So after a technical delay of about 24 hours, we are back with the second part of our chat. Um, <laughs> Chris is at the game tonight. Seth Lugo went six innings, gave up two runs, looked quite good. This is now the third game in a row that the Mets had a pitcher who was not supposed to be starting for them down the stretch throw pretty well you know gazelman had one rough inning um where he gave up three straight singles and then was pulled from the game on sunday last night montero threw a ton of pitches and walked six batters but did not give up a run and now tonight lugo aside from a home run in the bottom of the first i mean top of the first rather he uh he looks pretty good as well um how incredible is it that the mets are getting these performances at this time, would you have, uh, if I told you a month ago that Gazelman, Montero, and Lugo would start three games in a row and the Mets would be have a fighting shot to win all three games, would you have thought me crazy? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> and as optimistic as I am generally about the Mets and sports and, gen- you know, across the board, uh, these, as you said, we're not supposed to be the guys who are starting these games 
but here they are and you know it's i think it goes back to just that notion that you never know what's going to happen uh in, in a short span of time and they've all done well you know and I, gazelman to me is probably the guy that i have the most confidence in generally going forward yeah me too um and you know i mean that part of that is sort of the of the three he's had the most praise as a prospect and you know just in the limited time that we've seen them pitch his stuff looked the best and all that but you know coming out of the game tonight it's it's hard to knock Seth Lugo you know a guy who came up he he had started very very early in the year in AAA they moved him to the bullpen there uh he stayed there for a while came up to the majors did the whole you know go back and forth thing for a couple of weeks uh and then all of a sudden they need a starter and he stepped in and and he's been really really good yeah so, yeah, you know, he, he finally gave up a home run tonight. He hadn't <laughs> given up one yet. You know, Montero is a guy who obviously was much more heralded a few years ago, but I think everybody had more or less soured on him. Gazelman, as you said, has a bit of a reputation as a good prospect. Lugo, to me, seemed like the real wild card here that nobody really knew what to expect from him, but I don't think anybody expected this just yet. Um, so I guess the, the the logical question is now, you know, Matt's today was announced he's not starting on Thursdays. So he might be out for longer, but it looks like DeGrom, Cologne, and Syndergaard are more or less going to be, you know, mainstays for the rest of the year. Pro- pro- provided that Matt's can get back in a week or so, who is your hope who will be your your pick from these pitchers to be the fifth starter from here on out? And I know it's not quite that simple. There will be other players starting here and there. But, you know, who right, would be yeah. your choice to be the fifth starter from here on out? Well, I guess I, I might have spoiled it a little bit a minute ago. But uh, I, I'd, I'd still go Gazelman. But, uh, you know, if, if the Mets are choosing, I understand if they go with Lugo over him. It's only three major league starts. It's not, you know indicative of anything long term but he's gotten through three of them and gazelman got through one and the other appearance wasn't technically a start but you know kind of was because john neese didn't last more than what was it one out two outs something like that yeah yeah so so yeah if it's me i go back to gazelman uh what i think the mets will do is lugo for now and then you know, it, it won't shock me if they mix in Gazelman and or Montero. Um, you know, and I know we've we've talked about this for the last couple of weeks. We expect they will bring up as many guys as they can as soon as they can. Although there was a, a mention earlier tonight, and I don't want to go too far down the Conforto road, <laughs> but that he may not be back on Thursday. Uh, so if you if you are listening to this podcast in a timely manner and Michael Conforto is not back today, I guess that's something you guys should think about. I don't understand why <laughs> at all, but you know that's that's a whole yeah. conversation to have. Yeah, I guess the, my thirty second summary of the Conforto thing is it's 
it's tough to blame the fact that he's been so bad since the beginning of May in the majors solely on Terry Collins. Uh, but I'm happy doing that. <laughs> I mean, he, he's legitimately been bad whenever, you know, regular playing time or not, how much that affects the guy, I don't know. But whatever the case, it just hasn't clicked at the major league level now for several months. And obviously he's too good for AAA. Um, but while I might not lay the blame for that entirely at Terry Collins' feet, um, I don't see, you know, why do you leave him in Vegas for four more days? What what does that do? You know? Unless they, like, they bought a Groupon for uh, for flights, like, after the season's over, <laughs> and the Mets are so cheap they don't want to, you know, cancel those flights and get new tickets. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, no, I agree. Uh, to me, it seems like there's almost no reason to keep him down there for a few more days, but... That's okay. Uh, it's not like the Mets are going into a very important series with a team that is is tougher than the last couple of series they've played and therefore could use all the reinforcements they can get. It's not like that's the case at all. Right. <laughs> not like they're in a very tight playoff race right now, but it's a whole other story. Um, so, you know, like I said before, we recorded this in two parts. I think last night we were both very happy that the Mets got past Fernandez, and you know no one else. Miami's going to throw at them would be as tough as Fernandez. Well, now they've taken the two first games of the series. Um, last week when we spoke, which was a week ago, I asked you how many games you would be comfortable with the Mets having to win to still feel like they were in the race. Yes, and you said they would have to take the last game from the Cardinals, which they did. They have to take two of three from the uh, Phillies, which they did. And you said they would have to take three of four from the Marlins, which they are certainly capable of doing over the next 48 hours or so. Uh, so they, they've done what you thought they needed to do offensively. Are you feeling pretty good about the Mets right now? I would say yes. Yeah. Hey, so it works out really well that they did exactly what I asked for so far. <laughs> um, and Keith Hernandez made this point <clears throat> during, I think it was at the outset of the Cardinals series that he said the, you know, you, you got to win series from here on out. And the most important game to win is the first one, because that sets you up that, you know, that, that you can, kind of afford to do whatever with the second game. And then at least you have two chances to take a three game series. Um, so it's a little bit different in a four game series, but the Mets went out and won the first two. So now, you know, all they need to do is win one of the next two and they will remain ahead of the Marlins in the standing. So that to me is very important. Um, also something I think I've been sort of, wishing for for a month and a half has finally happened where I said, you know, a five or six game winning streak was something they really needed to put themselves back into a good position. Mm -hmm. They haven't rattled off that many in a row. But the other thing that I was hoping for was if they didn't do that, that they would win eight of 10, nine of 11, you know, and something right. in that range. And now they have won eight of 10. Um, and man, it was it was overdue. Like, I mean, th this is the best streak they've been on 
can we say comfortably since April? Uh, probably. I mean, I'd, I'd want to double check the, you know, the, the log of the schedule. Cause they, it's funny. They, they transformed from a team and I know I've said this before too, but, um, they transformed from a team that went, you know, they had the good April and then for a long time they would either win or lose two or more games in a row. Right. And then they went through the thing in July where they couldn't win two games in a row for almost a month. Over a month. Yeah, right? And then so but but they alternated a lot. Like they played a little under 500, but it wasn't, you know, they'd lose two, win one, lose win, lose win, you know, that sort of combination. So it it's nice to see and I don't know. I it's it's all a little bit unknown. You know, this is our first time going through the whole wild card chase in the two wild card era as Mets fans, which feels totally different, by the way. Oh yeah, it's it's crazy. Like I mean, I I get MLB TV every year because I just I like baseball, and <laughs> to me, it's worth it. But now it's like, all right, the Met game ended. Uh, like put you know, like put two games on the computer and one on on the Roku. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it's, it's a very different experience. But I really I hope that Diana loves the loves the Mets and loves baseball. Uh, no, not not so much. <laughs> then you are a lucky man. Yeah, well, thank you that you're I, able I to agree. watch three games a night and not uh, not feel wrath. And this isn't a uh, this isn't a judgment on my wife either. Don't get me wrong, but I I don't know if I could pull off the three game thing without without uh, too much uh, without the desire to watch TV together. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not if you can. This is just sort of general advice, but if you can plan your series watching so that you wrap up on stuff that doesn't coincide with the the month that your team is in the pennant chase or wild card chase. Mm-hmm. I guess it's the same thing really in the end. Uh, <clears throat> but wrap up those summer series, those spring series, get them done. And then, you know, who wants to watch one episode a week in September when you can binge watch anything that's new in October <laughs> or November, right? Sure. So there you go. Yeah. We made the mistake of starting Stranger Things on Sunday. <laughs> so every night at least one Stranger Things this week, so Yeah. You... To, I mean to be clear, that's that's not a mis- it's a mistake in the context of Mets timing, but <laughs> it's a good decision otherwise. Sure. Yeah. Um just to kind of answer my own question, I, I too am feeling pretty good about the Mets at this point. The Pirates lost tonight, which is nice. Uh, the Cardinals yeah. sadly won, but the you know but the Mets are making headway. There 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 seems to be, there seems to be some hope even with Neil Walker, and his barking back potentially limiting him to a bench role, for the rest of the season. Even with Asdrubal Cabrera being banged up but still hitting a home run tonight. Uh, yeah, uh, this is you know insane. This is like the best. It, Week plus, week and a half, whatever. He goes NL Player of the Week, and then he gets hurt in the last game of that week, and then he comes back out, and you know the Mets fall down two nothing in the first inning, and he hits a two run home run as the second batter in the bottom of the first to tie the game. It's um, it, 
it, it, it's the 1997 bleach job. Yeah, I firmly believe that the uh, he's unlocking the power of like Dawson's Creek or something, and <laughs> you know, throw, throwing back to the late 90s with that with that bleach job. So I'll take yeah. it between him and, and Reyes's frosted tips. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's looking very 90s there right now. It is break out the black uniforms. Please don't do that. Let's, no. let's, let's let's keep that on the shelf. I actually, you know what? This is a very delayed reaction, but I'm glad they didn't wear them for Piazza. Yeah, that's a good call. You're right. I actually, it, I they really for years. I was totally with Howie Rose. Get rid of them. It's just it was a gimmicky thing from the late '90s. I get that we identify that with those teams, but it was a poor choice. In the greater scheme of Mets uniforms, move on. And even when they retired Piazza's number, they did not wear black. So, good job, Mets. Yeah, good job, Mets. Um, so, I guess the only thing that would make me feel better right now about the Mets, there, there's two things, and they're both unlikely to happen in the next week or so, but I'll, I'll put them out there into the universe just in case. Um, for one of the teams that's hanging with the Mets to really fall back, you know, it, it's a little bit alarming to see two or three teams ahead of the Mets and and ha- and be confident about finding a, a spot there, you know. So if if one of the teams really fell apart, I would feel much better. And this one, I think, is more likely. Although still, with the way the Mets are going right now, not as likely. I would like to have some good injury news. Just somebody not be banged up. Somebody come back when they're supposed to. You know, I, I'm not saying that Lucas Duda makes a you know. A magic recovery here. Oh, you, you you read my mind on what I was about to say. I mean, I, that hey, that would be great. You know, the Mets, the Mets on September, let's say seventh, release a lineup and Lucas Duda's name is in it, and people are like, "What?" <laughs> so, so like, where did he come from? And he like walks out to some. I'm, oh God, I'm delving into wrestling talk. I, I was just gonna say, like, this sounds like a WWE storyline. <laughs> yeah. By God, that's Lucas Duda's music. Yes, you know. Mets Twitter, baseball Twitter, you've gotten the best of me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, no, that, that's exactly what I was thinking. So you know, but but even not due to just you know, if if Cabrera can get an extra day off and then feels good, or if Walker in a week can start a game here and there, you know, I would just it would just make me feel so much better because right now, I mean, can you be, think about in April? If I said to you, okay, Chris, here's what's going to happen. The only players from the from opening day, from the opening day lineup that are going to be playing for you when you're in the playoff hunt are going to be Travis Darno, Joanna Cespedes, Curtis Granderson, and Azrubal Cabrera, and at least two of them are playing hurt. You would never believe that they could still be in the playoff hunt right now. Yeah, yeah. That, and you lost Harvey, right? That's not even to mention the the pitching side, yeah. exactly. And Wheeler never came yeah. back, and Mats might be done for the year as well. And uh, Syndergaard is a bone spur, and Degrom has been hit very hard the last two starts. You know, and they're still right there. This is it's pretty incredible it, it, how how well they've persevered. Now, I don't agree with our friend Josh Lewin who said on MLB Network last week that he thinks Terry Collins should be in the conversation <laughs> for manager of the year because of how this team has persevered. While I agree that it's that he's done a good job in keeping the team together, 
I think he's also done a, you know, a pretty terrible job managing the team. So, you know, we'll agree to disagree there, Josh. But but this is a uh, this is a pretty this it's a pretty amazing place we're finding ourselves right now. And if the team can somehow pull off a playoff berth with all of these circumstances, then I I mean I I will tip my hat to who whomever I need to tip it to in that in that circumstance. Uh, yeah, that sounds fair. All right, let's uh, let's go into that long weekend with with a bit of win streak going. Sounds good to me. Hey everyone, it's Greg Karam and Steve Saipa here. I'm going to talk some prospects with you. Um. We've got so recording this on Sunday, and uh, on Monday the Mets need a spot starter because they are skipping Jacob Degrom for a turn, and it's been announced. I don't know if it's official yet, but uh, Montero is starting, mm-hmm. and uh, so with the team and the rotation the way it is right now, it looks like the Mets are going to be needing to fill some turns in the rotation. You know. We're seeing Montero make a start there. Robert Gazelman came up recently. Uh, you've seen Gabriel Yanoa pitch a few innings, albeit out of the bullpen. So we just wanted to kind of give you some idea of what to expect from these guys uh, who might be making some starts. I mean, Gazelman, he's actually starting today. He's uh, As we record, he's going to be starting in a couple hours. And... Um, just want to kind of give you a sense of what to expect from these guys. And you know, Gazelman, you've already gotten a taste of him. He's He's got a fastball, slider, curveball, changeup in his repertoire. Uh, hits about 94 on the fastball in his, in his first start, which actually was a bit of a surprise there. And uh, he's brought the, the slider to the table this year, which was not a pitch that he had in his repertoire last year. And I think that... The addition of that pitch is really kind of bumps up the profile for me, and I'm actually quite optimistic about him. I think he's got a good chance to actually be a starter in the long term. Uh, what do you think about him? I agree. Um, I mean, this might be a little optimistic on my part and down on some other people uh, in the system, but I mean, I think that he's our second best minor league pitcher, both in terms, you know, overall and in terms of of stuff. So. You're saying that behind Zapucky? Yes, behind Zapucky, but that's all that I would say are better than Zellman right now. Yeah, I mean, you can make that argument, and I certainly would. You know, I, I've I've always kind of been high on him um, coming into the season. I liked him a lot. I mean, I think we I think we ranked him ninth coming into the year, um, which actually I don't know why it just seems light now. Um, but you know, with the addition of that slider, it's it's, it's come a long way. I mean, he spent the um, he spent spring training. I think he was with the major league team for a little bit, and getting a little bit of time with Dan Worth, and and he gets that new slider now, and it just adds a whole nother level. I mean, he's got a, he's got an out pitch for right-handers, and really the whole profile just takes a big jump for me. I thought he might have been. An, a back-end starter before this, but now I, I actually think that the ceiling might be more of a th- number three starter, and 
maybe this is going to sound silly uh, after he gets lit up uh, later this <laughs> afternoon, but uh, I think I, I'm very excited about it, and it wouldn't surprise me if he stayed in the rotation the rest of the way and pitched very well. Absolutely. Also, don't forget, early in the season, we were getting reports of him hitting, you know, 96, 97. 98 and, even. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big game changer for any pitcher. Well, he already touched 96 in his one outing the other day, and he's got a low effort to delivery, and guys guys have come up and gotten velocity bumps with Dan Worthen's tutelage. You look at Jacob deGrom as a guy who... Not long after he comes up, he, they make a change to his a little tweak to his you know kind of torque in his rotate in his uh, delivery, and now and then he's bumping ninety eight. So it, there's there's value in you know major league you know instruction, and uh, it's, it's we have a good pitching coach there in Dan Worth, and so I'm not I'm not <laughs> I'm not ruling anything out with Gazelman at this point. He's a, he's a premium prospect, and the Mets have done pretty well with those premium. Uh, pitching prospects, at least in our, my opinion, it sounds like in your opinion as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, another pitcher who might be making some spot starts is Gabriel Yanoa, who has been on the prospect radar for a while. He, we kind of popped up as a part of the Brooklyn rotation uh, that we briefly mentioned last week and uh, in 2012, and he's just kind of been there. He's, he hasn't really put up numbers that have you excited, but he keeps moving up a level a year at a time, it seems. <laughs> and uh, he's a guy, so he's a fastball slider changeup guy. And the changeup has always been the best secondary pitch, but in his brief three-inning stint in the majors, he only threw one changeup, and he was more of a fastball slider guy. So I'm a little less excited about Inoa than I am about Gazelman. I'm not really convinced that he's going to be able to miss enough bats at the major league level to succeed. He's got a little bit – I mean, it's a similar fastball. It's about 94, uh, 93, 94. And I just – I'm not a big fan of the slider. And the change, I feel like, just hasn't taken a step forward in three years. So I, I just, I'm not as excited about him. How do you feel about him? I mean, he's he's a fine pitcher to have in the organization when you need um, spot starters and um, need to rest guys. But overall, he's not a very exciting prospect. I mean, he's a good, you know, he's a good pitcher to have, but he's he's, he's a very risky profile, you know. Um, he's a greater than the sum of his parts kind of guy, but when you need to get down to individual, you know, pitcher on better matchups, that stuff matters. And his stuff just, I don't know, it's pretty risky at a major league level, especially, you know, with the kind of team that the Mets have. He's a very pitch-to-contact kind of guy. doesn't strike many people out. So if, if, if batters are making contact against him with this Mets defense, it's not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a problem. You don't really want guys putting balls in play too much against this team. And, you know, rotation depth was going to be an issue coming into this season. The Mets, they, have, they had five healthy starters, and then beyond that, it was, you know, it was Montero, you had Gazelman, and you had, you know, and these guys are not proven, and... You've seen that they've had to dip into that, and they didn't get Zach Wheeler back. So this was going to be an issue coming into the year, and now going into next year, 
these are the guys who are probably going to be filling up the back end of the rotation if somebody gets hurt or somebody you know needs needs a uh, you know breather. So, I mean, it's just, do we like these guys better than we like Logan Verrett? Say, uh, yes, I like I like both of them better than Verrett. Okay, yeah, I, I definitely think that you know, especially Gazelman, he's gonna be he's he's gonna be much better than having Roland Verrett out there on a regular basis. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 not like either one of these guys are just kind of like AAA depth that we signed for a one-year contract at the beginning of the year, and they're completely replaceable. You know, you know, is not that exciting, but he's still, you know, a prospect. But uh, Zellman is definitely exciting, a prospect, and a top prospect. I agree with all of that. And, you know, beyond that, though, so you got those those couple guys. Is there anyone else that, say, maybe next year you think has a chance to provide some rotation depth for the team? Because it seems like there's kind of this vacuum in the system right now. At the top end, you got the guys we just mentioned, and then there's just – you know, a sinkhole after that until you bump into you know, Zapucky, who's probably going to start the year in Columbia next year. Uh, so anybody else uh, make you excited at all? Not really. I mean, there's there's a pretty big gap in talent. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty bad. I mean, you, you got guys in St. Lucie, you have like your Scarlin Reyes's, your, your mm. Corey, Corey Oswalt's, you know, it's... It, doesn't look good, you know. Yeah. PJ Conlon maybe, but yeah, none of those are really major leaguers, at least right now. Maybe someone takes a step forward next year. Who knows? But yeah, you, Chris Flexen hasn't had a very good year down there. I had high hopes for him coming into the season, and the, the Columbia rotations beginning in the year they had some they had some arms like Conlon, like you said, but he's a guy who touches eighty eight. You know, he yeah. might he maybe he touches ninety. So. That profile's it's not that exciting. He's putting up good results, but the the profile's not that exciting. You know, beyond that, you got guys like Tyler Pill, who's who's like kind of org depth guy. You got a guy, uh, Ricky Knapp, is is another similar type of pitcher. So these are not guys who probably are going to be, you know, making starts for the major league team. Though we said similar things about Seth Lugo. So and there he is, you know, touching ninety ninety six in the rotation. So. Maybe we'll the most maybe the the most miraculous scenario with that kind of pool of guys in Colombia and San Lucie right now is that um, Marcos Molina, you know, comes back That's completely true. amazing and healthy, <laughs> starts maybe half the season in San Lucie, the other half in Binghamton, and is given a cup of coffee or a spot start at the end of the year. Who knows? But probably not happening. Probably not happening <laughs> is the right way to talk about that, but. Yeah, actually, I think there there is some surprising depth to this Mets system, and um, we'll probably get into that more as we roll into the off season and get into you know list season. I but, love uh, list season. Yeah, it's it's it, it it gets us through the off season. But anyway, Steve, that's all the time we have for this week. So we'll be back next week to talk a little bit more about the Mets minor leagues. Hello, Mets fans, and 
welcome to the weekly stat. Uh, after a hiatus due to vacation and school starting, I'm back to bring you more statistical analysis on recent Met happenings. Uh, and I'm, I'm not sure I wrote uh, an article about this. I certainly ranted on Twitter enough about it, and certainly ranted even more in the writer's slack about it. Um, but I felt the Mets missed a major, major opportunity at the trade deadline this year to capitalize on a market that was overpaying significantly for relievers. Uh, we saw the Yankees pick up Glaber Torres for Aroldis Chapman and then get Clint Frazier and, uh, oh, the first name is escaping me, uh, Sheffield from the Indians. So that's essentially three top 100 prospects, two basically in the consensus top 50, two of them also position players close to the majors, four, uh, well, Chapman was going to be a free agent, and Miller was a not cheap, uh, but signed through the next three seasons. And my argument was that Addison Reed and Jerry's Familia represented a similar late-inning duo, um, perhaps not as dominant as Chapman and Miller, but Reed offers more control than Chapman as he is signed through next year, and Familia offers more control than Miller as he's under uh, Met control for another three seasons after this one, whereas Miller is only under control for two seasons. Familia also probably cheaper, even though he's going to get a significant bump in arbitration due to his save totals. Um, my argument was relievers are volatile, even when they're good, they're not that valuable, and they're very easily replaceable. Plus, it's extremely likely that, or perhaps not extremely likely, but there's a significant probability that one or both of Reed and Familia will be downright terrible next year, because that's how major league bullpens go. Um, and with this season hanging in the balance, though the Mets' recent success has pushed them a bit back into the playoff picture, uh, losing Familia and Reed wouldn't have been a big deal this year, and it could have helped the team next year. Uh, even if it opens vacancies in the bullpen. Uh, to that end, I wanted to see... Um, I mean, obviously, we did not trade Familia and Reed, so I was curious to see just how much they've contributed over the past month as the, as the Mets have um, scrapped and fought to stay in the race. Um, and as they defeated the Marlins in the second game of their series, their playoff odds are all the way up to almost 25%, after being as low as 7%. So there's a chance. But how much have Familia and Reed really helped this? Uh, over the past month, Reed has posted 0.4 war, and Familia has posted uh, 0.3 war, and basically the same number of innings. Um, Reed has uh, been probably luckier in terms of his home run rate, didn't allow a home run in those 12 innings, or as Familia did. Um, but the point is they've both been about equal, about equal contributors at 0.4 and 0.3 FR. Uh, problems with FR aside, different debate. For the Mets, those two numbers rank, uh, Reed ranks fourth, uh, behind Bartolo Colon, Noah Syndergaard, and Seth Lugo, and Familia ranks uh, tied for fifth with Jacob DeBrom and Steven Matz. Um, so there's some decent value there. That doesn't really paint the picture I was shooting for, does it? Uh, because that makes it look like uh, the Mets might be really in trouble without Familia and Reed, even though it's only, it's not even a whole win, it's seven-tenths of a win. However, if you look at the 
major league leaderboards for relief pitchers in August, you find that Reed is 30th and Familia is 32nd. And this really amplifies my point, or amplifies my point, rather. There are 30 other relievers that have been just as, if not more, valuable than Familia and Reed over the past month. These are guys like Christopher Devensky, Tyler Thornburg, Jim Johnson, Juan Nicasio, Mike Boren, I don't even know who that is, Dan Jennings, uh, Met favorite Brad Hand, Jason Grilly. I mean, there are some good names out there, too, like Sung Juan O has been the best reliever over the past month, or uh, the Mariners' breakout star, Edwin Diaz. But the point is that Reed and Familiar's production really isn't that remarkable and is eminently replaceable. I mean, if you consider what the acquisition cost would have been at Jim Johnson, say if the Mets wanted to flip Familia and then acquire Johnson to fill the void for the rest of the season, that's still a net profit in terms of prospects that could help the Mets next season and beyond while diversifying away from reliever risk. So that's really just the point I wanted to make. Uh, despite that, the, that they've contributed some non-trivial amount of war over the past month, Familiar and Reed are still both extremely replaceable, and the Mets missed an opportunity to capitalize on a market overpaying for them. And that is your weekly stat. Hello, this is Aaron York for Amazing Avenue Audio, and the Mets are kind of in the postseason race nowadays. We're recording this. On a Tuesday afternoon, the Mets are now scrapping it out. They're winning pitching battles against Jose Fernandez. They've won four of their last five games. And even better than that, they've won seven of their last nine games, if I am reading that right. Yeah, that's that looks like what the number is. And if not, it's uh, they've been playing good baseball regardless. So three of those wins, or only two of them out of three were against the Phillies in recent days, but then last night they get the big win over Miami, the Mets, Joanna Cespedes, a big home run in the 10th inning, Rafael Montero, not expected to do much, in fact, he did a lot more than I thought he would, in that he walked six batters in only five innings, I did not imagine he would do that, but then incredibly, he only allows a couple hits, He allows zero runs, and he keeps the Marlins down enough for the Mets to get the win. They tie the game on a wild pitch in the eighth, and then they walk off with Ioana Cespedes' big home run in the tenth inning, and the Mets are looking like that scrappy team that we all fell in love with as kids, or at least some of us did. Some of us were lucky enough to fall in love with the 80s juggernaut teams, I was somehow fell in love with the 93 team, which is the first team I remember that was not even a lovable loser. It was a hateable loser. But what can I say? The Mets are likable again because they're the underdog. They're everyone's injured. Neil Walker and his Drupal Cabrera were both out of the lineup last night, and they're facing Jose Fernandez, who is the best strikeout pitcher in the league right now, despite just coming back from Tommy John's surgery last year, which I know makes me jealous as a Mets fan that Jose Fernandez can come back from Tommy John's surgery, and the Mets pitchers have 
had a little bit of trouble. Look at Zach Wheeler. We thought he'd be in the rotation right now. Matt Harvey, we certainly wish would be in the rotation right now, but he has a shoulder injury. So how do the Mets climb back into the driver's seat of the wild card? A lot of it depends on the complementary pieces in their lineup. Ioannis Cespedes can't always be the hero, but maybe Asdrubal Cabrera can. He's been amazingly hot since coming back from his knee injury just recently. And even though he was out of the starting lineup yesterday because of a flare-up, he did manage to pinch hit, which was a good sign. And who knows, maybe he could stay hot for a little while longer, allow the Mets to beat the Marlins two, maybe three more times, get some more wins, climb up in the standings. Before he re-aggravated the knee injury, he had three home runs and two games against the Phillies. He had five hits in those two games, and then another hit before he had to leave Sunday's game with that re-aggravation of the injury. He was just really crushing the ball. He was pretty much a 700 OPS hitter in May through July, but now suddenly Azubo Cabrera has popped up and given Mets fans a reason to cheer. He's been, uh, he has 16 home runs on the season now, which is really good for a shortstop. And while his defense might still be a little overrated because of his flashy style, you'll take the 320 on base percentage, 445 slugging percentage from that position any day. And speaking of shortstops, I turned out to be wrong about Jose Reyes, who has not only started taking a few more walks, but he's continued hitting for power. He's hitting line drives. He's doing a great job out of the leadoff spot. And and let me tell you, City Field really exploded when he sacrificed his body to rush home on that wild pitch in the eighth inning. It was it was really a, a throwback scene, the way that the fans responded to Reyes giving up his body. He looked like he suffered some damage to his arm. Hopefully he'll be all right. But the crowd has really respected the way he's playing, the way he has looked like his old self lately, and the way he rushed home and gave it his all to tie the game for the team last night. It's definitely a win that if the Mets keep winning, the narrative is going to point back towards and say that was the night that the Mets really turned it around. They got the big hit from Cespedes. They got the big play from Reyes. And maybe that's what leads the Mets to the wild card. But for that narrative to become a reality... They need to get better pitching, and that means that hopefully Rafael Montero just goes to the bullpen after roster expands. the roster expands on this Thursday, September 1st, and hopefully Jacob deGrom's all right, and he keeps pitching like he did before. He was fatigued in the last two outings when he just got lit up by opposing offenses, and he gets back to dominating and carrying the Mets the way that he was. Syndergaard was certainly impressive during his previous outing in San Francisco. Hopefully he'll keep that going. And then you have to hope Seth Lugo can keep being a guy who's worthy of the back of the rotation. So everything right now is optimistic in Metsland, even though Neil Walker is still sitting on the bench with a back injury. And as Drupal Cabrera, we're still waiting for him to start again. 
the Mets, because of all their injuries, for once it seems like they're overachieving, and that is good for a fan who wants to be optimistic about the road going forward. And this has a chance to be a really fun series for the Mets against the Marlins. So let's hope that the good times continue, especially for Jose Reyes, for Isdrubal Cabrera, and for the rest of the team like Neil Walker and Jacob deGrom to get healthy and keep pushing this team forward. This is what Mets fans thrive on, the come-from-behind pennant race when it looks like they're out of it. We didn't think so coming into this this uh, backstretch of August now, but the Mets have pulled off some victories against San Francisco, against St. Louis, against Philadelphia, and now it looks like there might be a chance that they can make a run here. So that's pretty awesome. Mets fans should just keep rooting for good things to happen because it's not over yet, and oh, and a big part of that has been just these outstanding performances by Reyes, by Cabrera, Rafael Montero somehow didn't give up any runs. Who knows who the next hero will be? The Mets are exciting again, and that is awesome. So I decided last night that I'm all in. I'm all in on the madness and the chaos and the entropy, and I think the Mets are going to make the playoffs. I think it's giving me that second wild card spot, and I don't know how good their odds look winning that wild card game, but I think they're gonna do it. And the math doesn't look right, and the DL is too long, but for some reason this team has drawn me back in, and I have some weird faith in them for some reason. Because as I record on Wednesday afternoon, Mats might be pitching again this season, might not. Who the heck knows? Neil Walker has like tingling in his foot because of a herniated disc, and he's going to play through. And Terry's quote was phenomenal. He's going to pop some aspirin, something like that. That's exactly how a major league ball club should be run. But the Mets are two and a half games behind the Cardinals, and they're tied with Pittsburgh, and they're a game ahead of Miami. And the Marlins and the Pirates don't particularly look good, and neither do the Cardinals. And neither do the Mets, but they look less bad than the teams they're trying to beat. And Cabrera is hitting, and Reyes is hitting, and Conforto is back tomorrow. We'll see if he, you know, gets any play appearances, but he will be in the locker room. And Cespedes is hitting, Deaza is still hitting. Jay Bruce got a double, and, you know, that very well could be his first hit as a Met. I would not be convinced otherwise and it's risky and it's weird but I have some weird faith in this team and I think it was because last season I didn't have any faith in them either and they made it to the World Series so I will probably be crying on this podcast in a month when they completely blow it but for right now I'm just gonna sit back and enjoy the madness Well, folks, that does it for this truncated edition of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with a fuller show, I promise. Until then, please go to AmazingAvenue.com for all your Mets coverage needs. 
game threads, news, um, analysis, anything you can want, you can find there. You can also find Amazing Avenue on all relevant social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, by searching for Amazing Avenue. You can download the show directly from blogtalkradio.com, rate, review, and subscribe in iTunes, or get us on the Stitcher app. And of course, you can follow all of our contributors on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Kate is at Kate E. Feldman. Aaron is at APY5000. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. 343. Steve Saipa is at Steve Saipa. And Greg Karam is at Greg Karam. So, last week, Chris said the Mets needed to win six or seven games for him to feel pretty confident. Well, we're there. We did it. Well, not we did it. The Mets did it. But uh, it feels pretty good to be a Mets fan tonight. And I hope by the next time we talk that there is even more reason to be happy. Let's hope this is a good weekend against the Nats. And uh, as always, let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.